Oh, about lost my mic there. You know, we have been on this uh, journey together as we go through this sermon series, this, this very elusive thing that we call happiness. And what is it that happiness really is? And how is it that we can truly attain happiness, true happiness? Not just by the world's standard, but more importantly, by God's standard. And hopefully what we've seen so far is that we can't do it without God. That if we're really going to be happy, truly happy, then we've got to live a life that is surrendered. A life of faith. A life of love. A life that is striving to, to live in accordance with the very will of God. And then, we'll find this thing called happiness. But we've got to be willing to surrender in every aspect of our life. And I think that becomes a great challenge for us oftentimes. We're willing to surrender on Sundays. Or we're willing to surrender when we're in need of God. But are we truly willing to surrender every aspect of our life? That becomes a much weightier goal than what we might sometimes consider. You see, to be truly surrendered to God in every aspect of our life would even include Money. Oh, no. Nobody likes to talk about money. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us uneasy. But I tell you right now, whether you like it or not, there is a connection between money and happiness. It just far too often... The connection we tend to make or want to make is to say, well, if I just had more money, then I would finally be happy. But hopefully all of us know that money in and of itself is never going to bring about happiness. I guess it's a fun journey to take to see if I can spend as much as I can spend on whatever I want, and surely I'll find this, this elusive thing called happiness. But Jesus wants us to know that it's not about just having more, but it's actually about managing money. That's what will actually help us have this thing called happiness Listen, so much unhappiness in this life comes about because people are unable or just have not learned how to manage their money. You know, we talked several weeks ago about one of the aspects of happiness is peace, right? There's a lot of people in this world who haven't experienced a lot of peace simply because they don't know how to manage their money. They've spent more than they make. They find themselves in this horrible trap called debt. And there's no peace there. Therefore, there's no happiness there. They've mismanaged that which God has given them. And now they suffer the consequences of it. But what Jesus knew about us is that we would either manage money or money would manage us. Jesus said in Luke 16 and verse 13, No servant can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what do we know? Jesus makes it very clear to us that we have one of two masters. We will either serve one or the other. Now, if we were to put this verse on the screen, like I've changed it now, if we put it up there like a fill-in-the-blank, and we didn't already know the end because we've just heard this verse so many times in our life, and we're just reading through this like a fill-in-the-blank, like we were taking a test at school or something, and we say, you can't serve God and Satan. Surely that's the answer. God and sin. That, That must be right. Jesus is very specific. He says you can't serve God and money. You say, Blake, I don't serve money. That is absolutely ridiculous. Do you love it? Are you devoted to it? Is there a constant longing for more? Does money seem to dominate actions Thoughts in your life? See, if so, money very well may be your master. I wonder if you've ever had a a desire for something that brought about an irrational behavior in your life. You see, what happens as money slowly begins to take over as our master instead of God, we will do some very irrational things. Listen, for just a moment, and I'm sure we're all guilty of this. I know I certainly am. Think about whatever your last impulse buy was. The last thing that you saw it, you had to have it, and so you just bought it. No, no real consideration, no real planning, no real thought as to this is this a budget issue or not. You just said, man, I see it, I want it, it's mine. Now, for some, for some, maybe that's, you know, when you're standing in the checkout line, maybe at, at like the grocery store or Walmart, right? And you hadn't planned on buying anything up there at the counter, but you know, they're all real smart about putting all that stuff all around you that you're not planning on buying. So all of a sudden, you grabbed a magazine or you grabbed a candy bar. You grabbed several different things that you weren't necessarily planning on buying. It was an impulse buy. Or maybe for you, maybe it's a little bit bigger than a candy bar or a magazine. Maybe it's just walking through Walmart. Boy, that was something we used to really enjoy doing, right? You want to know why places like Walmart move their stuff around? It's so you'll look for it. And in the process of looking for what you need, you go, well, now it used to be right here, but now this is here. And I haven't even thought about needing this, but now I'm seeing something new. I think I'll get it. I read years ago, successful people don't go shopping without a list. People who are financially successful, they go into a store, they have their list, they stick to their list. People who are like, I can be, (laughs) I've got a list in my head. (laughs) I go in, I come out, I've got what was in my list on my head, and I have all these other things as well. It's, It's impulse buying. Wouldn't you love to know, I know I would, I would love to know just from 2020 alone, since so many of us were at the house and, and doing a lot more online shopping, 
Wouldn't you love to know how much money was spent on Amazon.com last year? Not on needed things, because I know there's a lot of needed things that were purchased, but on impulse buys. Wouldn't it be cool if there were some way to know how much money was spent when someone saw it, clicked on it, bought it, and it was showed up at their door a couple days later? I mean, it is too easy sometimes. So you see, money, whether we realize it or not, money can very quickly become our master. And we find ourselves doing some very irrational things, even if they're things that may be common to a lot of people. It's still irrational. And when we make those type of irrational decisions, inevitably the same thing happens. The bill comes, and it has to be paid. And for many, for many they've spent far more than they make. And so that bill comes, and it's suddenly very overwhelming. All of a sudden there's this feeling of dread and of worry. How am I going to pay it? Whatever are we going to do? And all of a sudden a decision that was such an impulse buy that in the moment made you feel happy. All of a sudden, the the consequences that follow are dread, worry, frustration, guilt, anxiety. There's no happiness in those things. No happiness at all. But we say, I would finally be happy if I just had a little bit more. Oh, but God, through His Word, He makes it so crystal clear to us that this path is such a dangerous one. Not that money in and of itself is dangerous, but the love of money is a very dangerous path. Because more times than not, when I find myself on that love for money, I'm really more dependent upon money for my happiness and survival in this life than I am upon God. And that's going to be a pathway that's ultimately going to lead me to my own destruction, to my own death. But where does this path begin? Because I tell you, just like any destructive path... It usually doesn't begin with with a big sign that says, come this way for destruction. It doesn't work that way. It's subtle. It's a very subtle thing. It usually begins with this thing we call discontentment. You know, tonight, many of us will probably watch the Super Bowl, not for the football game, but for the commercials. That seems to be a trend year after year. The, the commercials that air during the Super Bowl are so creative and they're so engaging. I like commercials. Because, because what I have found through about commercials through the years is if a commercial is really, really good at what it does, by the time it's over, it's going to have presented a product that has made you feel in the moment as though your life would be better if you just had that. Whatever it is, sharper knives, a fluffier pillow, a new car, whatever the commercial is, when it goes off, you kind of have this internal longing like, you know what? I wish I had those pillows. My, my knives never cut that well. You're right, if my spouse loved me at Christmas, there would have been a Lexus in the driveway. <laughs> You see, those commercials do a good job of making us want. 
And you know what that reveals to us, if we're very honest? It reveals how discontent we really are. Because the commercial, it doesn't matter how good it, it is, how well done it's put together, how flashy it is, how awesome the product may or may not be. If I'm content, doesn't faze me. If I'm discontent with my life, if I'm not happy with how things are currently, then all of a sudden I found myself drawn to all these different things, assuming, hoping that this will be the next solution. That this will help be a salve to my, to my discontentment. That, that once I buy this, I'll finally feel fulfilled. But you know, the discontentment usually leads to greed. And greed is when everything I see, I want, and everything I, I want, I want for myself. You know, I'm not watching these things going, man, you know what I would really like to do? I would really like to go purchase that for so-and-so because I think that would make their life so much better and so much happier. No, 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 I'm not thinking about anybody but me. And that's greed. And the thing about greed is, greed is a very hungry, hungry monster. I can continually feed greed, and he will never fill up. I can throw all kinds of money and toys and experiences at greed. He's never going to be content. That's how dangerous greed is. You see, then greed leads to debt. And the Bible speaks a lot about how dangerous debt can be. And that when we are in debt, we are actually enslaved. We are slave to the master. Who's the master? The master would be the lender. And we might even find ourselves saying, you know what? I wish on Sundays, I wish I were in a position to give back more to God than what we currently do. But I don't know how. I don't know how we could ever give any more than what we do because all the bills are already piling in and, and we already have to pay all these different things and there's just, there's just nothing left for us to give to God. You see, that's when money has become your master. Listen to what the proverb writer would say in Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Now, not all debt, certainly, especially in our world, uh, because everything we purchase seems to be purchased on some kind of credit. I, I don't know of anyone, uh, personally, I, you may, I don't know of anyone who just walks up and writes a check for the house they just bought. They, they take out a loan, they finance it in some way. We finance cars. Well, we finance all kinds of things in this life, okay? So I, I'm not saying that, that debt in and of itself is sinful, but what we see here is some very real-world wisdom from God letting us know that these creditors, these debtors that we have, we're enslaved to them. And if we're truthful, when we find ourselves in those type of positions, we can recognize that they do control a certain amount of our life. That they control what we do or don't do in many, many ways. And so God's not opposed to what we have, and, and God's not even opposed to the idea of us wanting more. But what God wants to make sure we're doing is managing well what we have. That's what's going to bring happiness. So how do we manage money well? 
Well, it begins with us giving it. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, beginning in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You see, the people of God have always been expected from God to give back to Him of that which He has given to us. And why? Because God knows, God knows the temptation to hoard. God knows the temptation to, to use what we have solely for our own pleasures. God knows how tempting it is to allow money to become our master and to just, to just spend it on ourselves. So God knows we need this, this discipline, this spiritual discipline of giving back to Him from that which He's given to us. And when we do it generously and we do it with the right heart, what you will find is that it is, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it is a test of our love for God. Now that's, a, that's a pretty heavy test to take. And what we also see in this, this act of giving that it really challenges me, it pushes me to be more reliant on God than on myself. Because it's so easy in this world to become so self-reliant as a result of the money that we have. So number one, I'd say give it. Number two, save it. In Proverbs chapter 21, it says in verse 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. And you go down now to verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. In other words, the, the wise individual is going to save some of their treasures. You know why? Because having a little bit set aside, it sure does bring about peace of mind in this life. You know what I have found about everything that we own? It gets old. It begins to break down. It begins to tear up. Houses and cars need to be repaired. Appliances need to be replaced. Life happens. And we all experience those. And what security it brings about when those moments do come, we're in a position where we have some set aside, where we can just meet those day-to-day -day needs. But man, the anxiety and, and the, the chaos that can come whenever there's nothing set aside and those day-to-day -day things happen and it just throws everything out of whack because we don't know how we're going to manage. We don't know how we're going to pay the next bill because now we've got this, this unforeseen expense. So you see, saving a little bit of it can become a very important thing for peace of mind. Live on it. See, it's a simple plan, right? Give it, save it, live on it. But it seems completely contrary to most people in our society. Truth be told, for a lot of Christians, it's probably pretty contrary as far as the order in which we ourselves live. That we have already established that we are an individual, a child of God, who is going to give back to Him first and foremost. And then we're going to save a little bit for those rainy days. And then we're going to live on what's left over. Too often the trap we fall into is everything we get, we live on. And we pay little heed to giving back to God or even saving for those rainy days. 
And when we're living on everything that we have coming in, it brings about a lot of struggles. It brings about a lot of heartaches. Because you see, giving it, giving it will bring joy. Saving it brings peace. Living on it brings freedom. Because all of a sudden, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes from all of the strain and the wear and the tear that debtors can put on you when you are enslaved to them. True happiness. True happiness is not going to be found in money or stuff. True happiness is never going to to provide the happiness that we seek as long as money is our master. Probably for far too long, far too many of us have been enslaved to the wrong master. We've been more enslaved to money than to our God. And so it could be today that, that as a child of God, you see the need to just totally, completely surrender and to allow God to, to truly be Lord and Savior of your life and allow Him, allow Him to show you through His Word how to even manage the money that He has given you in such a way that even that in itself is pleasing in God's sight. Before we close I want to share with you a passage that is it's one of my personal favorites. Well, I'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, there it says, beginning of verse 3, they gave according to their means as I testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, now as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. You know, as the Apostle Paul is writing here, he's writing about those who were giving freely. And I want you to notice what he said, how he describes them, that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Does, does God need your money? Does God need your home or your car? Does God need your time or your talents for that matter? The answer is no. He doesn't need any of those things. But if we're going to live our life totally surrendered to Him, what He wants first and foremost is that we will give ourselves first. He wants us. He wants our heart. Because what God knows is that when He has completely has us, when we are completely and totally surrendered, when He has our heart, all those other things will fall into place as they should. But as long as He doesn't have our heart first, none of those things will ever be as they should. Again, one of my favorite passages, the Proverbs chapter 30, beginning of verse 7. It's a prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for men, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's a prayer of contentment. Do you hear what it's saying? The prayer is saying, God... 
give me just enough. Give me just enough so that I don't have so much that in my own arrogance and pridefulness, that I don't start thinking that what I have, I've done, that I've accomplished it, and, and in the process, forget to be completely dependent upon You. And, and on the other side of that, Lord, please, please help me make ends meet so that, so that I don't find myself in a position where I'm tempted to sin just to pay the bills. And in turn, forget my dependency on You. Prayer of contentment. Prayer of peace. A prayer of understanding. God, please give me just enough so that I don't forget you. Who's your master? Is it money or is it God? Megan Hill completely surrendered her life the other day on Thursday morning when she obeyed the gospel and was baptized for the forgiveness of her sins. Completely surrendered. It was a beautiful scene. And if you're here today and you've never done the same, I would encourage you to follow in that example that has been set by Megan and by so many others, by so many of us. A complete surrender to God, obeying the gospel and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe as a child of God's, you know as well as I do how easy it is to allow the things of this life, our money, our stuff, allow those things to dominate our life, our thoughts, our desires, our wants, our wishes. We begin to think that the, the money and the stuff of this world, surely the next thing will bring me happiness. And that's a trap. It's a trap that far too many of us fall into. And I'm afraid far too few find their way out of. So as a child of God's today, I ask you the question, Who's your master? Your money or your God? You can't serve both. If we can help you with that, won't you come as we stand and sing?